The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 1st, 2022. April Fools, or as they say in France, Passant d'Avril, April Fish. It's where it came from. Whenever you're clicking on some link because a streaming service thought they would play a fun joke on you. Just remember the people that you have to really blame for this are a bunch of French children slapping paper fishes on each other's backs. No joke of a show today, however. We are going to talk about immigration. One of the issues that is uniquely owned by Republicans And according to the Biden administration's own estimations, is likely to get worse leading into the midterms. However, there is one thing that the Biden administration can do, but it would piss off immigration experts and advocates and be validating Donald Trump. Can they bring themselves to do it? We will talk about that. Madison Cawthorn, often a a headline grabber, youngest congressman as of now at uh, the age of 26, is in hot water with his own party because he went on a podcast and discussed the world of Washington, D.C., up to and including multiple sexual partners and cocaine use. It made me remember. A story from oh so long ago, 2004, the Washingtonian. Oh, it's a sex and blog story that I will never forget. If you have never heard it, you are going to enjoy it. By the way, I do understand that there are some parents who listen with their children Uh, we're going to be discussing adult things. Okay. Uh, Fair warning. No curse words. Just understand. And finally, Bill Scher will join our program. I got to say, I'm looking at the calendar right now. And I'm looking to find situations that could turn the tide for Joe Biden. And I'm having a hard time come coming up with a bunch of them. And if we are going to understand that the midterms are largely buoyed or uh, weighed down by the president's approval rating, I I don't know if I'm seeing a lot of places where that could turn. So I brought on Bill. We have a great conversation. And he comes up with a few things that could happen that I do agree would have material effect on Joe Biden's approval rating. So... 
listen to that in a little bit. But first. All right, let's run down the big issues that I believe will define the midterms. Education. Oh, yipes. Okay, so right now education is not a great issue for the Democrats. It's what Glenn Youngkin won on in Virginia. I believe that that uh, the Democrats fell into a trap with the don't say gay bill. And it underlines this idea that right now, especially post lockdowns, parents are very dialed in on what can and cannot happen in school with their children. But at least Democrats used to own education. That was an issue that you exclusively understood was a Democratic issue. So yeah, maybe they can find some old magic there. I mean, you think inflation is bad for the Democrats? Eh, we're going to talk about this more with Bill later. It's kind of more of an act of God. Y'all know a really bad issue? I mean, I mean... Ah, really, 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 really bad issue for the Democrats? Well, I'll tell you. Immigration. It's been owned by the Republicans for years. It was the signature issue with Donald Trump. And last year, it got bad, telegenically terrible for Joe Biden. Kamala Harris was dispatched down to Central America so she could tell citizens of those native lands, don't show up. We are not trying to roll out the welcome mat. That's not a good look for Kamala. It's not a good look for the Biden administration, considering that part of the reason they got elected was the unique evil that the Trump administration had brought to this issue. Well, with a humanitarian crisis on their hands, Last year, and one that seems like it's kicking up again now, they have yet another problem. And this one is going to show up a lot closer to a date that matters, the midterms. This from the New York Times. Homeland Security officials on Tuesday described contingency plans for managing as many as 18,000. 18,000 encounters per day at the border, regardless of cause. They're working with FEMA and other agencies, state and local officials, and the department is prepared to have on standby for additional personnel, transportation, and medical assistance, temporary facilities for processing migrants. A reminder that in a stark departure from the Trump administration's kids in cages, the Biden administration put kids in warehouses. So, with that being said, what can the Biden administration do about it? Well, let's talk about what they won't do. They're, they're certainly not going to build a wall. I don't believe that they are going to be in any way, uh, 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 you know, taking any kind of hardline border stance. They still need to motivate their base, and their base still hates everything about Donald Trump's border policy. But there is this. Title 42 thing. And heads up, we record this on Wednesday. There might be a decision on this already. So if you haven't heard about it, you might be able to Google the, the result of this conversation already because there is a forthcoming decision at some point over the next couple of days. 
But the Center for Disease Control has a thing called Title 42. It was put in by Trump during the pandemic. Essentially, it clears out red tape so Border Patrol people can expel migrants faster. Normally, there's a few things that you need to do before that happens. According to reporting, the Biden administration is facing a decision, and the CDC specifically is facing a decision on whether or not to renew or cancel Title 42. Well, there are two senators that very much would like to have Title 42 continued, especially with that expected 18,000 a day possibly showing up. One of them is Kirsten Cinema. Oh, geez, I'm sure a lot of you guys are saying, shaking your head. I can't believe this Kirsten Cinema always, always making trouble, always going against the party. She has no end to her ability to make this a look at me moment. Well, there's another signatory on it. Oh, yeah. It's Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly, the good Arizona Democratic senator, who also says because they are senators from a border state, we would greatly prefer that you keep Title 42 because if you take it away, it'll be looked at as yet another reason why Joe Biden is inviting people into the United States. Which, whether or not you philosophically believe that that is the greatest idea, there are actual realities of border towns who, by the way, vote in statewide elections for people like Mark Kelly and Kirsten Cinema. So, is Biden's CDC willing to keep this in or is it time to take it out? If we are to look at the decisions that the Biden administration has made in the past, I think they're going to take it out. I think that they don't want to risk their base and they do not want to give any element of the Trump regime, uh, especially on the border, any kind of validation. And so they're going to have to own whatever happens there this summer. And if it's anywhere near as telegenic as, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the stuff that happened last year where we had a bunch of Haitians on the border, which, again, is one of the most geographically baffling situations that I've ever seen in my entire life. Not only do you have a problem nationally, especially for Republicans who are animated on this immigration issue. But also, you've got local problems. I don't have a lot of bullish opinions on Beto, but Beto's going to have to make a decision on this. Kelly's going to have to make a decision on this in Arizona. And that's a fairly crucial Senate seat. We shall see. It's a, a show called House of Cards. I'm going to turn my hat around for this. This is. Are you familiar with House of Cards? It's about to get serious. Yes, I am. With uh, Kevin Spacey. You've been behind the veil. Is this a fictitious show? 
or is this more closer to like a documentary? Is, is it that bad? So I heard a former president that we had in the 90s was asked the question about this. And he gave an answer that I thought was so true. And he said, the only thing that's not accurate in that show is that you could never get a piece of legislation about, uh, about education passed that quickly. And everything else is good. Uh, aside from that, I mean, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. Uh, and then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. That is Madison Cawthorn, the youngest congressman in the House of Representatives. And, of course, that makes him the youngest Republican congressman as well. He was on the Warrior Poets Society YouTube channel. And that quote specifically about orgies and key bumps has landed him some pretty, pretty, pretty hot water. Which is odd, because in that same video, he later goes on to praise the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies as proof of American exceptionalism. But still, Cawthorn's fellow Republicans have become enraged that he would insinuate that some people that are on the front lines of drug policy are doing key bumps or that there are members of Congress that are possibly organizing orgies and would like Madison Cawthorn, the strapping young 26-year-old, to engage in them. They say that Cawthorn should be naming names instead of blindly hurling innuendo that tars and feathers this respectable establishment. Let's pause this story. Because I want to tell you another story. Let's take it back. Back to the naughty Audis. 2004, to be exact. I'm going to tell you a story about a woman named Jessica Cutler. Her blog was called Washingtoniette. Or sorry, Washingtonian. N. Washingtonian. It was, at the time, Little Red. But in the naive way that the internet is wont to do, it made some shockingly candid admissions. Here's how it was described in the press at the time. Jessica's blog, and I'm not kidding you, this is how the article went. Parenthetical, short for web blog, end parenthetical was the online diary that she'd been posting anonymously to amuse herself and her closest girlfriends. In it, she detailed the peccadillos of the men she said were her six current sexual partners, including a married Bush administration official who met her in hotel rooms and gave her envelopes of cash, a senator's staff member who helped hire her and then later bedded her, and another man who liked to spank and be spanked. The blog was frankly explicit, dear listeners. I followed this story as it broke very closely. Not only because I was, as a young journalist, obsessed with the entire suite of Gawker blogs, 
I believed then that it was the future of the entire world of journalism. The idea of printing things on paper would only become more passe, and more and more, the democratization of information on the internet would bring not only more interesting, but better information. And I am here to say, I was totally right. Also, this lady talked about sex. The blog that she wrote broke on Wonkette. Also, there was another element to this. Jessica Cutler uh, is a fellow alumnus of the Daily Orange student newspaper at Syracuse University, where she served as a photo editor. And at the time, I was a current staffer. As you might imagine, this story became a daily follow for the wild-eyed gerbs. Jessica described in her blog a boys-will-be-boys culture of sexual promiscuity. Kinks? Sure. Cash? Absolutely. No strings attached? You didn't even have to ask. Cutler's writing was good. D.O. good. It was frank in a way that's still memorable. I I can still remember reading for the first time the moment where she discussed the price difference. So she would get these envelopes from one uh, one of her dudes. And there was a price difference between the envelope of a, and if you were listening to this with a child, I'm going to use euphemisms, a Main Street sexual encounter and one that takes the back road. She was unapologetic about the jobs that the men that she was sleeping with were in, how much they paid, often under the guise of helping a young staffer with her rent, and... What their penises like, like <laughs> what their penises looked like. I didn't remember off the top of my head any key bumps, which for those of you who didn't grow up in Florida or work in advertising is when you dip your uh, key, like your house key into a little thing of cocaine. So the powder stays straight on the groove of the key and you snort it. Well, I didn't remember any until I found this clip online of Cutler reading from her book, which was a compilation and beefing up of her blog, describing a negotiation she had with another girl she had had a threesome with while nursing a Coke hangover. I used to think that I was the only one who did this freaky stuff. Like, there's something wrong with me that I was attracting all these sickos. But the more people you talk to, the more you realize that everyone has stories like these. April shook her head. No, that's not true, she said after doing another bump. Most people have really boring lives. I really think that we have a tendency to attract weirdos. No, I argued. We just have a tendency to find strange ways to entertain ourselves. I took off the Heatherette Hello Kitty mini dress I had worn out the night before. My eyeballs hurt and I could feel a heartache, a headache coming on. Sorry. I think I'm coming down, I said, pulling my Donovan McNabb jersey over my head. <laughs> I'm out of here, April said, throwing her coach bag over her shoulder. If I talk to Laura, I'll let you know what she had to say about last night. I hope things don't get weird between the two of you. On her way out the door, I didn't want to burden April with the regrettable truth that it was too late. It was already weird. Laura came by the apartment that afternoon to discuss. I think we need to talk, she said, sunglasses clamped to her face. We're both biting coke hangovers and I wasn't really in the mood. There's nothing to talk about, I offered. We were both high as kites. We look here to weigh, it's no biggie. 
Speak for yourself, Larson. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about me. I'm really not the threesome type. Well, who is? <laughs> I laughed. Everyone has at least one threesome at some point in their lives. <laughs> Maybe where you come from they do, she snorted, but where I come from people don't do things like that. Not true. Haven't you ever watched Jerry Springer? Apparently, poor white trash have threesomes all the time. <laughs> I knew that it was sort of a mean thing to say, but someone needed to knock Laura off her high horse. So let's get back to Cawthorn. The sexual world that he described almost certainly exists. Does it happen at the highest levels? Probably. Sex and cocaine are fun in moderation. Humans like fun. Politicians are, at least scientifically, human. Now, what Cawthorn is paying for is exactly what made Jessica Cutler immediately lose her job in the office of Mike DeWine. As soon as her blog was found out, she was immediately fired. The reason why was because of misuse of Senate equipment, because she posted to her blog while she was at work. But the reality is, she talked about it. That's not allowed. And while you can have some understanding, then while you're out there doing dirt, nobody likes a snitch. We're in a different world now. Secrets don't say secret for long. I mean, currently on the internet, there is a video of the son of the president having a three-way. We know for a fact that he got a DC stripper pregnant and denied being the parent. The beauty of the internet is that everything lives. And regardless of its flaws, I do think that it makes us better. Because otherwise, any of this conversation, and whether or not you find it repugnant, I do think it's important that it's mentioned would have been snuffed out at exactly that Republican Party meeting where somebody wants to believe that by talking about this more, they could kill the story. Well, you can't. Not as long as I'm following everything. <laughs> If you would like to keep this podcast alive, then you can head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week, one on Sunday, one on Thursday, the late edition. As I mentioned before, this episode is always recorded earlier in the week. It runs on Friday, so I give you guys evenly spread out information. However, if you want to get the latest news that we talk about, if something broke between Wednesday and Friday, I talk about it on the live Thursday podcast. So go ahead and get that. I'm going to use the rest of this plug here to let everybody else know if you are coming out to Founders Day, which is the event being held by Brian Brushwood at his seven acre Schwood compound on April 9th. Do me a favor. Send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Let me know when you're coming in because I would like to do an unofficial little PX3 meetup if people are in town a little earlier. So let me know and we will figure it out. There we go. Take politics seriously.com.
Tschüss. Our guest today is no stranger to the program. He is a writer for Washington Monthly and many other places. Let's go ahead and welcome back Bill Share. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Great to be with you as always. Biden. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., the president <laughs> of the United States. Uh, he just put out a budget. That uh, was a far cry from the last budget he put out in terms of uh, where, where he initially wanted to greatly expand uh, uh, the, the American social safety net, the likes of which we have not seen in many, many decades. Uh, now it is at least both in, in its messaging and uh, a, a scope from what we have seen so far mm. about paying down the deficit and mm. funding the police. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's what I want to ask you. Yeah, it seems that they know that they are in trouble for the midterms because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have had the State of the Union sound as different as this one did than the last one. The budget follows suit on that. So let's diagnose as gigantic brained pundits that we are <laughs> uh, where Biden is right now. Where are his weaknesses right now? Understanding that his reputation is going to, on some level, define his party in the midterms. From your perspective, what are the biggest liabilities for Joe Biden as we talk uh, in the end of March? Well, the most glaring one is inflation. Uh, and it's one that he can't do a whole heck of a lot of about. You know, the Fed is going to be the Federal Reserve is going to be the entity that can do the most to tame inflation between now and November. And we'll say, and they're, they're moving towards higher interest rates. Uh, will mm -hmm. they do it fast enough, strong enough to do the job? Will they do it too strong? Will they, will the medicine be so stiff that inflation does get tamed, but it causes, you know, a backslide in economic growth, you know, though, if these are the things that one of the reasons why the Fed doesn't just jack up rates willy nilly, because there are yep. side effects to the medicine. Um, but that's the biggest thing looming over him that even I think uh, as the news is so dominated by Ukraine, it yeah. doesn't crowd out people's day to day economic concerns. No, uh, no. So I, th I think you're, you're dead right. And the reason mm -hmm. why inflation is a problem is because every voter knows it every time they buy something and specifically every time they go get gas like right. like it is it is just it is a constant moment of oh this sucks i don't like this this is you this, know, is, this actually, is a bad idea i actually feel that the gas part of it is overhyped because overhyped how because before the invasion gas was up a little bit but in the big scheme of things, not all that much. Inflation was much bigger in other areas. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Groceries you know, and, and stuff like that. Groceries is probably the biggest one that is on people's day to day. Yeah. Used cars is a very big one, which yeah. affects you if you're trying to buy a car. Not yep. everyone's trying to buy a car every day. Um, you know, Republicans kind of zeroed in on gas because people have sort of this knee jerk reflexive attitude to point it because it's, it's the price you see when you drive down the street at these big glaring signs with prices on them. Um, but well, the I, I, think, I think also it's like gas gas is a life tax, right? Especially if you yeah. commute, which which many Americans do. Most Americans do. 
then you are spending that money no matter what. Like like that is the 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 is the literal cost of doing business. And and so I think because it's repetitive, unlike anything other than food, uh, that we'll always have this special place in our psyche of like if it's high, screw this. If it's low, I don't. I'm not going to think about it. Nobody ever gets credit for cheap gas, but right. you, get, you certainly we, get tagged for high gas. When you looked at the inflation-adjusted chart of gas before the invasion, the Bubba McGas was was pretty mild. It was it wasn't yeah. as stiff as the broader price. <clears throat> excuse me, the broader price increase. Now, of course, you have this extra jump with yeah. the invasion, and so it's so it's still. But I, I think gas in and of itself is not going to dictate how people feel about Biden. Right now, there's a broader inflation issue. Yes, yes. Uh, that's that's weighing him down. And like, for example, if if because the pandemic is uh, uh, been in a, we're in a pandemic lull, if that lull stays for several months, and that has some residual impact on you know supply change and buying behavior and whatnot, and so by the summer, overall inflation is lower. But gases are kind of high still because of the evasion. I would think that would be still a net positive for Biden because gas is still just one purchase you make out of everything else that you do in your life. But mm. and it's all it's all theoretical. We'll, we'll see what yeah, actually yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right here. Yeah, because like, that's uh, 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 there, there's there's a few things there that I do want to separate because I do think that they all are their own separate uh, uh, liabilities going into it. I, I agree with you 100 mm. percent. Inflation. I want to also double back on something that you said that interest rates yeah people tend to forget that like when some of the the presidents were at their lowest it wasn't necessarily i mean like inflation was the cause then you rise the interest rates mm-hmm. then we go into recession mm-hmm. now all of a sudden something that is bad on your watch mm-hmm. you become thought of as culpable for mm-hmm. because it was under your watch that the interest rates went up right I mean, and this so, happened with jimmy carter i mean jimmy exactly you know, I mean, inflation predates Carter. Carter started yeah. inflation. Inflation yeah. was a was a was a beast throughout the seventies. Nixon did these wage and price controls, which he knew was was hokum. Yep. It was you're artificially shoving prices down. I mean, he literally did this before the election of seventy two, knowing full well you can shove them down, but at some someday you got to take the controls off. Yep, <laughs> and it doesn't mean they don't magically stay down once you lift the controls. So, uh, you know, he he did that to get through the election, and then you know, and, and, and went in a landslide. Um, so, and Carter, nothing bad happened to him again. <laughs> right, Happily right. ever after for old Richie Nixon. <laughs> um, no, Carter knew inflation was a political problem, but he wasn't willing to really lean into his first Federal Reserve chair. I mean, they're supposed to be independent, yeah. of course. Um, uh, but a lot of his team was sort of putting out dovish messaging and the and the guy was a, was dovish in general. So he wasn't doing a whole lot. Inflation was still persisting. And it wasn't until Carter swaps out the Fed chair for, for Paul Volcker, knowing Volcker was going to be a hard ass. Yep. Uh, and, and Volcker s- said to him, you know, the interview, like, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not being verbatim here. I don't know if you're willing to take this heat. And Carter was like, hey, you do what's right. I'll deal with the politics. That's what yeah. that was Carter's message to Volcker. Volcker like really jacks it up. Yeah. And Carter can't handle the politics. No. And he loses. Uh, and later Volcker ran into Carter and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then 
<laughs> I ruined your election. Um, but it was it was the medicine that was needed. It just it just it's it sucked in the process. Yeah. But it did it did tame the inflation beast. Uh, so I we I mean I, the current Fed is trying to not be so hard and fast. Yeah. Um, but we just don't know how well it's going to work in the end. And so, all right. So, so there we go. Uh, that, that is, that is the inflation liability. Yeah. Let's yeah. go to the COVID uh, because, okay. because I, because I, uh, you mentioned it and I do think this is one of the things that gets me to my larger, my largest thesis here, which is that things that I had had in my head of, okay, well, if this, then that, uh, uh, Biden's approval will tick up and we will have something May he'll probably still be underwater, but it won't be the like double digits, 15 percent average and, and and stuff like that that we had seen through the last few months. One of those things was covid that <laughs> the better covid gets, the further the Democrats uh, can get away from where the lockdown party, uh, the more people can begin to say that they uh, are are living the lives that they had done before. They'll be doing things for the first time mm-hmm. in several years that will indicate that they are back to normal. And that can't help but benefit the president of the United States. And indeed, his approval tracked up a, a little bit as things were coming down from the Omicron wave. But then they've stalled. And, and it makes me wonder, like, all right, if if we're back to quote unquote normal, uh, and and kids are back in school and mask mandates are getting taken away, and yet people are also still upset about this other stuff, is there only going to be so much traction that Joe Biden can get with a bettering COVID situation? Well, look, I, I think that, I mean, presidents' parties usually have bad midterms. Yes, not in no every what, circumstance. No yeah, I mean there are there are exceptions. I can't remember if I, if I went on this spiel on a past show, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Go ahead. But the ex, here here are the exceptions. Here are the times when a president's party either gained house seats or lost less than five. It is FDR 1934. It's JFK 1962. It is Bill Clinton 1998 and George Bush 2002. That is all the, all the midterms since That's the Civil it. War. That's it. Um, what happened for all those? The, there is a common thread in those four. 1934, FDR is tackling the Great Depression. 1962, JFK Cuba Missile Crisis, right before the midterm, within the two weeks of the midterm. Uh, 1998, a uh, Republicans are on a glide path to impeachment. Uh, yep. And 2002, you're in the aftermath of 9/11. All those things are types of crises. Uh, and with FDR, JFK. George Bush, it is a president tackling a crisis in a way that people like. Yeah. Uh, in the case of uh, the impeachment, the I mean, you might not think of that as a crisis, but the 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 buzzword at the time was constitutional crisis. It was said all the time. Yeah. And, and yeah. Republicans manufacturing a constitutional crisis redounding to Bill Clinton's benefit. Uh, yeah. So if we are in the fall, and the pandemic is tamed and inflation is better. And even and either uh, the Ukraine uh, invasion is rectified or it is still ongoing. But people think that Biden is handling it well. You know, those are the ingredients for beating the historical odds. But having but having said that, you got that's yeah. a lot of things to go right. 
And, 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 and you like, you could have it all go right. You could do this as, I mean, right now as it stands, like I would say, you got to pitch a no hitter. As of today, you would not say this is a no hitter. It does not feel like a no, no hitter. No, as of this it does moment. not. Uh, no. Maybe it might feel that which, way. Which would, which would, which would statistically take the concept of a no hitter metaphor off the table, right? <laughs> well, look, let's say this is not a no hitter, but Hey, it's, it's the bomb of the ninth and the team is like come back from five runs down and it's sure. down by one and you got two people on base. And so you, you're looking pretty good. And so you only lose 10 house seats, which historically is really good for the president's party, but you would still lose the house. So it's possible well, yeah. that they can do a lot of things right possible, and still possible, lose the house. Possible. But no matter what, the earliest indicator of all of this would be his approval rating. Right. Like if, which right if now any is terrible, of this which is, is going currently to happen, terrible. which right now, which is currently terrible. And so this is what I. All right. So so you you laid out a few things and this is what I want to talk about for the rest of this conversation. What are the things that could go right? Because like I said before, I thought covid was one of those things. I thought there, there were two major issues that he would have to that would have to rebound for it, things to do to, to go better for him. And the sad part for him was that he wasn't really in control of either. Uh, one mm-hmm. was inflation. The second was COVID. Inflation mm-hmm. seems like it's not really going to move a lot between now and the midterms. A lot of the talk about transients that we were having last year. No mm-hmm. one's really saying transients anymore. Everybody is saying mm-hmm. this is going to be a thing and it might break sometime in 2023. We'll see what happens with, with the rate adjustments mm-hmm. between now and then. COVID, like I said, uh, tickling right now in America, at the very least. Mm-hmm. We're doing great. The numbers are mm-hmm. are like they have not been in a year. Uh, uh, in fact, it's almost suspiciously about a year, almost <laughs> as if this is a seasonal virus. But like, uh, uh, still, he he tricked up a bit and then kind of hit a wall when it because uh, you know inflation is is more important at least to voters. But let's talk about Ukraine because this is an issue that that very much came out of uh, uh, nowhere. I think that the Biden administration should get credit for sounding the alarm on the level that they did when I, I was a a cynic in, in terms of how much they were talking about it. Turns out they were 100% right. And yet, in the latest NBC poll that came out on Sunday, he's underwater with approval of his handling of, of, of Ukraine. And I also have questions on exactly how much Americans uh, uh, care about it beyond the, the the super online chattering class. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a war half a world away, so it is unlikely yeah. to be the issue that Americans care about. It is the issue that is covered on the news every day. So it does. I mean, it's a land war in Europe. So, yeah, right. Uh, and I while the polling for Biden on Ukraine is not great, I would still say. Biden's doing a lot of things right. Uh, I mean, what he what he has to do is hold the line, keep NATO united, yeah, uh, and help Ukraine forestall an actual takeover. So that's all happening, you know. So even this gaffe, the so called gaffe, he's doing he's doing things right, saying <laughs> things. I, uh, but you know, even even that, even that. Uh, It'd be one thing if Biden made this gaffe and then the next day Putin said, oh, I was going to do a peace agreement, but now I'm not. Here come the tanks into Kiev and I'm and, and, and you know, that's all she wrote. That would be very bad for Biden. But nothing around that gaffe has really changed. You know, the Russia is saying that they're pulling back 
and entering into peace talks in, in Istanbul. So the, all these other factors happening on the ground in Ukraine are have not been altered by that. So I think, you know, in a week's time, that's going to be totally forgotten. No, the big no, thing no, Biden's doing right is keeping NATO united and keeping Ukraine in the fight. Uh, and if, if uh, it really feels like, or it is, this is actually resolved positively by the fall, does that mean Biden wins? Probably that in of itself, no. no, because history shows that foreign policy rarely is the tipping point. I mean, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis is an unusual example because it was missiles on our shores yes. that yeah. JFK pushed off. Um, but, you know, Camp David Accords, for example, doesn't save you know Jimmy Carter. NATO bombing, you know, in of itself doesn't do much for I me. Mean, Clinton did, did better thanks to the economy and the Republicans' missteps in impeachment, but the bombing of itself was not really helpful to Clinton politically. Um, uh, so these things tend not to be the things that matter. It's always, it's usually the economy stupid. Uh, and that's why even if, even if the pandemic's going better, even if we're if we don't get hit with another wave between now and November, if inflation isn't resolved, you don't get the credit for it. All right, two things about the the the, the Ukraine situation. Number one, if the point is to keep NATO in line, then you know when Biden keeps saying Putin is a butcher, Macron very specifically says. Now, granted, he's in an election himself. Uh, uh, that uh, he does not agree with uh, uh, Biden's usage of that because they are still negotiating with Russia. That is the thing that I think in a different uh, uh, in, a, in a different world, maybe a president would be dinged more on. He's not. That's fine. The bigger problem I have with his gaffe from last weekend is not necessarily that it materially affects the war. Although then again, Putin did bring up J.K. Rowling last week. So the, the <laughs> fact that he would bring up something that Joe Biden says is not we're not out of the woods on that. Uh, However, it was a moment where he overshadowed what I thought would be a natural strength for him. And specifically, as you've had a lot of surrogates out there that have been making this point of, well, imagine if this was Trump. Imagine if this was Trump, which I find to be a little tedious and and and, and not you know productive for your own cause because you want to demonstrate to people you're glad it's not Trump because this is happening. And he had a very good speech. In Warsaw, that should have been a moment where the conversation was about look at the 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 gleaming totem that the American mm -hmm. presidency can be on foreign soil in turbulent times. This is what you pay attention to. And unfortunately, he made a more succinct, more quotable gaff than anything else that he said in, in the fairly well-reviewed, uh, even across party lines, speech that he had given before that. And so it's not necessarily that it's a material damage to the war effort itself, but I do think that it's a missed opportunity for him to do the, you know, he's the steady hand at the till. If, if he's going to be anything, well, A, he would be a good legislator, which we have not seen that so far. But uh, the second would be he's experienced. We're glad he's there and not Trump. And he he fumbled it. I would have in, in that respect, I would have preferred Biden not say it. So it would be more likely the 24, 48 hours afterwards was bipartisan accolades for a great speech. Yes, uh, exactly. I think you want to make it hard for Republicans to be uh, petty in their dealings with Biden on Ukraine. I mean, in one respect, you know, there's a lot of bipartisanship here. They pass a, an aid yep. package without barely, yep. you know, a fuss. But you do see Republicans trying. They don't want to seem like they're too cooperative. They want to, they want to complain about energy, for example, um, 
or complain about Biden flip-flopping on what he, his intent with sanctions. They, they want to find their opening so they can have some distance. You want to make it hard for them to do that. And this gaffe gives them a fresh opening to complain about something. Uh, so in that respect, I'd say not great. But I also think that this is very, very, very different than Trump's antics on the world stage. To me, this is much oh, more sure. like this is much more like Ronald Reagan calling the Soviets the evil empire or George Bush talking about an axis of evil. Things that Democrats at the time were really annoyed with and thought this 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 was saber rattling. This is yeah. egging people on. This is risk risking um, grievous uh, conflict. But I think to the average voter, it was a leader talking straight. Uh, and I think to the average person, Biden was talking straight there. Uh, now, if if they're led to a demonstrable negative impact on the ground, the political value of that is, is undercut. Uh, well, but I don't, I don't yeah. think you're going to see it in the long run. People saying, how dare Biden say Putin should not be in power? Because the average person says, hell yeah, he shouldn't be in power. The guy's a butcher. Sure. But also they don't want to go to war. That's true. And that's that's, that's the other part of it. If we fell into a a ground war era with Russia, that's a whole different story. But if it doesn't lead to that, I think the utterance itself feels like, hey, that's Joe Biden, regular guy talking from the heart. That's the guy I like. If they care. Right. And, and that's, to, that's to the, the, to the, to the extent, yeah, they, to, I mean, to, to, to the extent that anybody cares, because I think America, Americans care, are we going to war uh, or. Uh, whatever, like I, I'm sure this, you know, the, the handsome president of of Ukraine can do whatever they want. I'm, I'm sure they, they, it certainly is captivating television. It has been wall to wall because you don't normally get these kinds of stakes and 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 visuals for uh, the medium. But uh, uh, I, I I do think that I can't see a situation unless. Putin is taken down by popular revolt. If Putin is taken yeah. down by popular revolt, Biden, I believe, will get credit for it and oh, he will yeah. take credit for it. I mean, I mean, look, there are plenty of times when Republican presidents have done things that are wholly irrelevant to the actions that followed. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, Republicans, for, they still say Ronald Reagan was inaugurated in the, in the hostages and Iran were released. The Ayatollah yeah. saw Reagan's steely glare. And yeah. in, in an instant, the hostages were released. Of course, that's not how Carter was furiously negotiating up until the last minute of his presidency. And that's what got the hostages released. Um, or, you know, Ronald Reagan said, tear down this wall. And then the wall got torn down. Hooray for yeah. Ronald Reagan. Uh, so I don't think these things are all, are all that linear. Um, but. If, if Putin manages to not be president of Russia in six months' time, I'm sure a whole lot of Democrats are going to say Joe Biden did it. That's Joe it. Biden. That's it. Old old Scranton Joe took the took the hammer to him, and uh, the people of Russia agreed. No, I guess all right. So if we're looking at things that could go different, that he would get credit for, that I think would materially have an effect on his approval rating, I would say that would be one uh, uh, a major geopolitical shift if if vladimir putin is either imprisoned or 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 killed by a popular revolt that would be that would be big. Can I, can I go down a whole uh, a related path here oh please yeah because i wrote a piece in the washington monthly not too long ago arguing that romney was not right about russia uh which is i read that cover- i read that I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought uh, it was a, a little, a little bit, but I got your point. I got your point. I got your point. Um, 
<laughs> and so the, the point that I made in the piece was that, you know, yeah, R- Romney got Putin's character right. Yes. Doesn't mean that he had the policy plan to actually do something about it. And that, 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 that's what you said or not. You said or, you said or mm-hmm. not on on either the exchange during the debates right. or the general sentiment, but rather what what Mitt Romney had actually like published as his policy position, right? Which which one was wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't there wasn't a big sixty page policy plan that he was going to put it yeah. out there. Uh, but he wanted more missile defense. They wanted to keep the budget, the military budget bigger, and he wanted fast admission of Ukraine into NATO. Yeah. And the thing, the missile defense happened anyway. Obama did do a missile defense plan. He he scrapped one idea, but he replaced it with another that Russia hated just as much, if not more so. Uh, yeah. I complained about it at the time uh, and kept I mean, the, uh, the American budget, military budget was trimmed, but still is hugely more than Russia's. I mean, we still dwarf Russia's military budget. Uh, so. I think the, those metrics that Romney laid out were met, and that did obviously stop Putin. Uh, and the thing about getting Ukraine into NATO is it requires a unanimous vote of NATO allies. And it was, it was evident at the time that that unanimity wasn't even close to being there and probably still isn't even isn't there today. Um, so it wasn't yeah. there in January. Uh, and so if you're pushing it aggressively, what you're doing is exposing a rift within NATO, which is the kind of thing Putin loves, because Putin wants to weaken the NATO alliance. If he can pit NATO allies against each other, that's that's gold for him, which is why yeah. he loved having Trump around, because Trump was someone who was disparaging NATO his entire presidency. Uh, so Romney might have had the right, you know, attitude, but he could have overplayed that hand very easily and made things a lot worse. And if, if, if he were president, then, yeah, there was no guarantee that there would have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, actions that would have solved or precluded what happened in 2022. And so why I think that's relevant now is because the average you know, take is, well, Romney had it right and Obama was being too glib and was too soft on Putin. And that's why Putin rolled into Ukraine today. And if we had a, if we had a tougher attitude, that wouldn't happen. But, you know, what a, one thing that Obama said uh, in the tail end of his presidency, uh, you know, people have, people have recirculated the quote that, well, if Russia you know, essentially wants Ukraine, you know, it's in their security interest. It's not in ours. And that seemed like kind of a glib defeatist thing to say. But part of those comments also were that it would be a sign of weakness of Russia to have to use the military to control Ukraine in that way and not use it and not use other political and economic levers. Uh, And this is the kind of thing that, you know, Americans talk about in terms of American military endeavors that, you know, going to Afghanistan, you know, sucks your, uh, you know, sucks your blood and treasure uh, or I probably shouldn't have gone into Syria because that would have been another quagmire. And Iraq was a quagmire and the Soviets learned the hard way in Afghanistan. Uh, It may well be that Putin's going to learn the hard way in Ukraine and maintaining NATO unity in the face of that was more important than being more overtly belligerent to Putin beforehand. I mean, it's one thing if you could actually deter. If you knew that um, the saber rally was actually going to stop Putin in his tracks and that has not happened, obviously that would be preferable to all the people dying in Ukraine. But it's yeah. also, I think, I, I mean, part of the Romney assessment of Putin is 
he seemed pretty hell bent on this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not like he has obvious military advantage here. Um, and he knew full well that Biden was not Trump in terms of his attitude towards Russia. Uh, and he did it anyway, because it is clearly what his objective is for his entire legacy of his presidency. Uh, and so if he's going to do it anyway, do it in a way that we maintain our unity and our and can do our utmost to repel it and have it lose, have it be defeated, as opposed to breaking the NATO alliance in the run up to an invasion because you're squabbling yeah. over the, the right approach and making it a lot easier for Putin to waltz in there without a, without a unified response. So it, it could well be that the way Biden has handled things, um, and uh, which is not dissimilar, I think uh, I think there's there's a continuum between what Biden's doing now and Obama did. Um, in terms of a lighter touch, yeah, uh, that could well pay off in the end, and may well make it easier for Biden to credibly say, if it all goes well, I did do things to uh, hasten Putin's demise. But he's got to die, <laughs> like either politically <laughs> or physically, right? Like you know, that, and that's and that's that's a thing where uh, if there's mm-hmm. one thing that. You, you would have gone broke a long time ago is betting against the political uh, and physical utility of, of, of Vladimir Putin, at least yeah, I mean, up I'm, to this I'm, point. I've I'm sort of, not read anything to suggest that there's a, uh, an easy way for him to be internally disposed of because he has such a hammerlock on the government well, apparatus and that's, and, that's, and that's the other thing is that part of me thinks politically, obviously everything, especially when we're talking, is going to be looked at in, in the very – rigid political lens of like approval ratings, uh, coattails, mm-hmm. what, what the final vote count is going to be in, in America. Whereas uh, the Putin situation in this entire war, I, I feel like is, we still don't know. Like I, I still don't feel like I have a reasonable idea on exactly why now and exactly why this <laughs> aggressive and not just try to take those two areas in in, in the Donbass, mm. which he had done a bunch mm-hmm. of times and a bunch mm-hmm. of other places is, mm-hmm. is to nibble, nibble, nibble. He decided to take the full bite. It looks like he choked. Mm. I have no idea. He's talking about on one moment. He's mm. he's uh, talking about, you know, how the USSR screwed up the great Russian Federation. And that's what he wants to reassemble. And and then the next moment he's talking about J.K. Rowling and how the oligarchs mm-hmm. are dogs that are content living in the hallways of other palaces instead of with their own people. So it's like. I have no idea either where this is now or where this is going to end. And so if if at best what I would say for our our political landscape is like it's a roll of the dice. Like, yeah, it might land favorably for you, but it also in in all likelihood probably is going to have not much of an effect or at the at at the outer end, maybe a a very negative effect. But I think the, the biggest thing here is that people are just like, oh, well, that ended. Yeah, I mean, I, I hardly think you could bank on something happening in such a clean and favorable way between now and November. Yeah, exactly. That's going to help you in the midterm. I mean, it could well be that we have an immediate uh, some sort of agreement that is sort of unsatisfying to all parties um, and doesn't give any kind of political boost to Biden, but may erode Putin's standing over time because people in Russia might say, we did this for what? We lost Russian yeah. soldiers for what? Yeah. To hold on to Donbas? Like, what was the point of that? Uh, but, but obviously, this, this is highly, highly speculative. But the only point I'm making is I think it's very, very premature to argue that uh, we did it wrong. The Democrats did it wrong 
in with Russia uh, and invited this uh, yeah. tragedy. No, no, no. I, 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 I agree with you because uh, whatever Obama's policy was, uh, uh, it could not have either foreseen nor forestalled <laughs> Putin getting weird during COVID, which I, I do buy as part of the the element of this uh, from from his point of view. All right, but one last question. Right, sorry, okay, go ahead. I, I, I just one other thing. So uh, there's still things that Biden, I think, would like to do legislatively, domestically. Yeah, and we're talking before on air how you're sick and tired talking about Build Back Better and Joe Manchin and all that. <laughs> oh um, yeah, yeah. Before before we started, <laughs> yes, I'm very glad that campaigns are back. I'm very glad. But uh, I do. Th- I mean, inflation is the thing that matters most to your median voter. Uh, but yeah, to 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 pull off the uh, unusual in the midterm, you need you need, you need base plus swing. Yeah. You got to get that base energized and you got to wing the swing voter. So inflation is a swing voter issue, not not solely, but, you know, politically speaking, primarily. Uh, but I do think Biden's got to notch another legislative win to get the base in the game. I think right now, a lot of those base activists are like, what's the point of all this? Like we can we didn't get any, we didn't get any bill back better. The best yep. thing we have is this bipartisan infrastructure bill that doesn't make me very excited. Um, having all this attention on Ukraine may lower the the temperature on the domestic legislative program. I mean, just this week, you mentioned is still talking about ways you could he could get to yes on a smaller type of reconciliation bill. Yeah. Uh, so there's still glimmers of hope there. Uh, and mind you, there's they, Biden has been notching up some more small, small bore bipartisan wins over the last several weeks. And you make another one with the uh, semiconductor manufacturing China competitiveness bill uh, that, that could happen. Yeah, soon. but nobody uh, nobody cares. That doesn't move the needle nationally. The bigger thing. Well, if Biden can say at the end of the fall that uh, the pen, we got I know that stuff with the pandemic was a real pain for a while, but we held tough. And we got through it. Yeah. Inflation is getting better. <laughs> We're making Washington work again by passing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I mean, I mean the individuals people don't care about, but if you can say so broadly, Washington is working again. We're working together with both parties. We stood together on Ukraine. We fixed the post office. We're, we're, we're building infrastructure projects in, in your regions. And wink, wink, progressives, we got mansion degree on this package over X, here. X, Y, or Z, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the constellation. That's the way the stars could align. It's a lot. And, I, and my point, you could, you, you could do all that and still lose because of the way the pencil because because, because because of the numbers yeah i yeah. think you know but unfortunately but I, but I do think uh, yeah. those things are possible there's there's, there's still possibility sure. there to go up against the tide i would say unfortunately for biden if COVID doesn't move the needle and he can't touch anything on on inflation i think that they are also facing headwinds serious headwinds on at the very least, education, which I do think will continue to be an issue through through the midterms, and immigration, which we're going to see, uh, by, according to the uh, 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 HHS, another very potentially very ugly, very visual uh, uh, front of mind kind of summer mm-hmm. for that. Which the Democrats can do nothing but just sit there mm-hmm. and take because that is that has been a Republican issue forever. Well, that's that's, that's even more complicated because you know there's this whole Title Forty Two issue. Which, yeah, which um, we're gonna yeah, which which may or may not because this is gonna air on Friday. So there may or may not have already been a decision on on Title Forty Two, but we right. talked a little bit about immigration earlier in this show. Okay, so so you know about yeah. that already. Is, yeah, I mean Biden has to make a decision. Yep, uh, which could impact how um, migrants and asylum seekers get processed. So it's not just like 
if this just happened and it's out of our hands, like there's things he's going to do potentially proactively that Republicans could try to hang around his neck. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying he he, he should he should keep Title 42 for political yeah. reasons, but I'm saying he may no, do I, something I, that will I, I, make this a complicated issue. I think that that's that's something where there's no good scenarios for for the Biden mm. administration there. Like mm. there there are it's just it, it is something that he's going to get hit with. The question is exactly how mm. hard. All right, so let's let's go for uh, my last question. Yeah. Doomsday scenario for for for, mm-hmm. for the Democrats. It is a slaughter. Yeah. Lose the House. Lose the Senate. Lose the Senate. And and we're talking, they're 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 done in uh, uh, Nevada and Arizona and Georgia. All these seats that that you know had had flipped and were Biden states. Now all of a sudden, uh, they lose all of them. And may, or maybe even not that far, but but still bad. Is there a scenario in your mind? Because you know as well as I do that the presidential campaign starts the 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 day after the the midterms yeah. are over. Yep. Do we get the the well, you know, health and family and 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 Biden's thinking, you know, like he's already said he's committed to running, but you know, after after this doctor's appointment, maybe uh, uh, <laughs> there's the, you know, the 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 Democratic machine are are. Tuning up the band. We've already seen some of these stories, at least in terms of other candidates not being shy about saying, uh, if Biden doesn't run, we're not scared of Kamala. We are all going to run in an open primary. Nobody's yeah. going to give her the respect. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I was, I've always been nobody comes this far in their life, especially Joe Biden, to not run for president again when you're in the strongest possible uh, position to do it. But. I mean, in a world where I don't see a lot of ways that this turns around for him and he gets his ass kicked, I, I think the wolves might be out on, on, on the Democratic side to, to step aside. You know, when when Reagan had a bad midterm in 1982 and there was chatter right away, I mean, Reagan was considered very old at the time. I mean, Biden's older now, but Reagan yeah. was considered very old. Age was an issue in the 84 campaign. Uh and there was talk that he should step aside. There were polls taken who would be better, George H.W. Bush or, or Howard Baker. Um, yep. And, you know, Biden's going to have to make a pretty quick decision on that if he wants to forestall somebody yeah. jumping in. Uh, I mean, if, if, if he's losing the midterm, presumably his approvals are below 50. Yep. He, he won't be pulling great vis-a-vis Trump. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, the reason for him to, to stick it out one more term, it would be a notion that he is the lone Trump killer. He beat exactly. Trump the last time he can beat yeah. Trump again. If he doesn't have that veneer in early 2023, some enterprising person could well say, I'm not going to wait. Uh, I mean, because if you wait, if you're if you're a potential challenger and you do wait, I mean, the, the, I mean, you you may not be a big Kamala Harris fan, uh, and yeah. I agree that even if she runs, she doesn't clear the field. But as I've been you know, uh, say, saying for a long time, vice presidents have a very, very, very good track record in primaries. Uh, yes. In the modern presidential primary system since 1972, they always win. The lone exception is Dan Quayle in 2000, and he was running against the, his president's son beyond yeah. his own his, his own uh, uh, flaws. Uh, so uh, when you're VP, you've got name ID, you've been traveling the country, you've got a donor network. And Kamala, I mean, I, I know she has her detractors, but she has a fan base. She has a very fervent fan base. So and, and, any, and anyone winning a Democratic primary, got to go through South Carolina. Got to win that African-American vote in the South. You tell me who's going to take that away 
from Kamala. You know, maybe if there's multiple African American candidates in the race, um, that could that that vote could be well, divided. But, but also, I mean, I, I I find that demographic to be highly pragmatic. You know, I mean, there was a reason why by they were a strength for for Hillary when she was running against Obama initially in <laughs> Initi- in, in, initially. in the primary. Initially, initially, <laughs> because now when she seemed less and less pragmatic, then all of a sudden there was well, there was there was an exodus. You, you would have to make a case that you are the more pragmatic choice. Yes. And that can be very, very hard to do when you don't have the name ID. You can't hold up the poll saying, I'm going to beat Trump by 10 points and Kamala's going to lose by 10 points. If you don't have that data, it's hard to make that case. And then and then you fall into the trap of, why should I shove aside a woman of color and take a flyer on you when you don't have that data? Uh, so it's, it's uphill. And so there would be incentive to get in before Biden makes a decision before yeah. Kamala makes a decision. So you can try to build up that name ID and get some of that kind of traction. So there's incentive for Biden to make a decision and avoid a messier primary, yeah. even though he might be reluctant to bow out. He, he might have that fighter instinct to not want to, to throw in the towel. But if he just got his clock clean and his numbers are terrible, there will be pressure on him to say, look, don't make this messy because so-and-so is going to jump in and make it messy for you. Uh so yeah, it's it's not going to be. So it's going to yes, be a very yes, tenuous. Yes, yes, yes. You see that as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not easy to rally around a guy who is in his eighties, who is well underwater, and is not a clean favor against Trump. That will be a hard place for Biden to be in early twenty twenty three if it's a bad midterm. I'll tell you what. There was a blueprint poll that came out earlier this week in in Nevada, which again Biden won, very small margin, but he still won. <laughs> and mm-hmm. in in that poll, and granted, very early down double digits in, in, Mm -hmm. in Nevada. Like those, those are the kind of polls that if you are looking to unseat a president from a, a reelection run, those are the kind of things that you are holding up and saying, we Mm -hmm. simply cannot allow this to, to happen. So uh, we will see a great chat as always, Bill share. Uh, uh, Well, what do you got? What do you got in, 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 in the hopper? Um, I, I'm working on a piece that should be up pretty soon about how the post office reform bill came together. This is one of the bigger, I would say next to the infrastructure bill, perhaps the second biggest bipartisan success. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. I mean, the, the post office has been bleeding money for a long time, and this really you know solves the immediate problem. And it, and it just kind of glided through the hub of paying attention to it. After a year when the post office was one of the biggest polarizing flashpoints. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and Louis DeJoy, the postmaster, Trump's postmaster general, is still the postmaster general. Yeah. And and came to agreement with progressives on this bill. So I think it's an, an interesting story that's not been told a lot. You know, that's there's an alternate world where Biden has the exact record that he has. And the only thing that's different is that he was bipartisan Joe and look at these bipartisan wins that I've bipartisan done. And, and I feel like, especially with independence, uh, uh, I feel like he would not be quite as underwater as he is right now. Well, so, you know, I, I've said if Biden started the presidency differently, yeah, if he did it, if he did not go partisan yep. for the American rescue plan. Yep. Cause I think at the time people said, don't this Collins offer, this is your billion. It's a joke. And you don't need you don't need to deal with these jokers. You don't need to be jerked around by them. We can do this ourselves, which, yeah. is, which was true. They did it themselves. But uh, if you got to one trillion with with 10 Republicans, 900 yep. billion with 10 Republicans, would the uh, 
pandemic economy still been okay? And you would have gotten the message, hey, I've gotten Washington to work again right away. Yep. Set the expectation that bipartisanship can still happen and, and work that bipartisan muscle as long as you can. Yeah. And then at the point when you run out, okay, we can't do climate, we can't do immigration, we can't do universal pre-K, then you shift to reconciliation. Yeah. Would you would have been easier to get Manchester Cinema to come along doing it that way and set a better uh foundation uh to the broader public that you you did everything you could to make Washington work and have it made Washington work in many respects. I, I mean yeah. it's hard to you know do the total counter historical narrative. Yeah. But I do think in retrospect, that would have been a better way to go. Yeah. And instead the solution was to have Bernie and Joe Manchin fight on television for four months, but uh, to each their own, to each their own. Uh, Bill share. Thank you so much for joining us as always. It is always a pleasure. Same here. Take care. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for dog and pony show audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. You can thank Bill Share for coming on this show, px3guest.com. Send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. You can see me live on the internet, px3live, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, when scheduled permits. And you can share our podcast, px3podcast.com, with your friends, family, and clergy. Buy some px 3 merch at politicsmerch.com. And of course, you can support this show with a one-time donation paypal.me slash pay jury venmo is justin dash young dash 20 and our cash app is px3 cash you want to send me something physical in the mail i'm begging you justin young is where you uh who you make it out to p.o box 1531 84 austin texas 78715 of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like our friends in the Titanic. $10 tier. Up to and including Andres. Unsafe DB levels. Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Niemeister, Dr. G, Admiral, Flapjack, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, 70s TV salesman, or spy, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. D. Really? Uh, Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley Steven, Diana Silent Slumbers, Katie Adam, and Double K Ranch, Yo Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, J-Pink, and Andrew, and we got one in at the very end, Christopher upping his pledge from three to ten Welcome to the Titanic, Christopher. <laughs> Might need to come up with a better uh, a better line than that. All right. 
That's it. Have a great weekend. Weather should be nice. I hope everybody's having a good time. We got one week until uh, until until Founders Day. Hopefully, I see you guys, some of you guys out here. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying. Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three. you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.